0: Welcome to News Data's Energy West, a podcast about the energy industry today and where it's going tomorrow.
1: Welcome, everybody. I'm Dan Catchpole with News Data's Clearing Up. And this week, instead of doing our regular weekly wrap up, uh, we're sitting down with. Michelle Maneri. Yeah, Michelle Maneri. Michelle, can you introduce yourself?
0: Sure. I'm Michelle Maneri. I'm the Acting Deputy Assistant Secretary for the Grid Deployment Organization um, at Department of Energy. Longest title ever. I think Michael Pesson beat me just by a little. But, um, but yeah, so basically my group, I'm on a two-year assignment from the Bonneville Power Administration, um, uh, loaned over to DOE to help stand up the transmission, uh, uh, kind of permitting, planning, technical assistance, and deployment of the infrastructure bill.
1: Yeah, I mean, I do have to ask, did you get extras? Large size business cards. No, I just cut title. some of
0: the words out. All right, all right.
1: <laughs> so, in the bi- bipartisan infrastructure law that passed in the in the fall, huh? uh, there one of the programs in it is the transmission facilitation program that falls under your uh, in your office. Yeah. You guys have two point five billion revolving fund here or uh-huh. borrowing authority to help. Jumpstart some of the transmission that there that is going to have to be built if we're going to bring in all this intermittent renewable energy, optimizing all that uh, new generation. Uh, can you give us an overview of sure. this uh, transmission facilitation program?
0: Sure. <laughs> it's a mouthful. So we call it TFP because we're right, an that, academic. That works better. <laughs> so uh, the, the goal of the facilitation program really is to help those large interregional transmission projects, 1,000 megawatts or more, or major rebuilds of existing projects that bring in 500 megawatts more. So it's really focused on the, the larger scale and the transmission side. Or the third aspect is uh, connecting microgrids in Alaska, Hawaii, and the U.S. territories um, to transmission grids. So it's really focused in those three areas. Mm. Um, and the thinking is transmissions take such a long lead time to build that um, it uh, a lot of folks, by the time you get all your... Uh, kind of not only your permitting and your citing, but also all the customers and everything signed up. It just, uh, it's just a long time. It's, you know, 10 years is usually kind of the, the, uh, you know, kind of the poster child. It could be plus. (laughs) But um, so really uh, what Congress did is brought uh, forward uh, uh, on the infrastructure law, something uh, that helps accelerate those the, the transmission builds. And how it does that is um, it offers developers, and it could be utilities, it could be third-party entities, you know, there's eligible entity is very broad, but um, it provides a, kind of a, a mechanism where they can come alongside the Department of Energy. The Department of Energy is authorized to uh, subscribe up to uh, 50% of the line's capacity. Um, up to 40 years, so those are our guardrails, um, on uh, 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 projects that will uh, result in public benefit. And so when you talk about public benefit, that can be resiliency, um, it can be reliability, it can be bringing clean energy in, um, and clean energy can take a lot of different forms. It doesn't have to be renewables, it can be carbon capture, it can be small microgrids, anything like that
1: and the you guys to flesh some of this out you have a notice of intent mm-hmm. and request for information coming out in the next few weeks so it's going to flesh out a lot of that right correct this-
0: it's going to propose, uh, you're right, we're going to have a notice of intent with a request for information because we have some certain specific questions we would like, followed by a 30-day comment period. Okay. And so we really want to make sure we get this right. Um, and so we're going to come out and propose kind of the structure, what's going to be required in order to apply, what the applicant needs to submit, um, kind of the timing, um, the, uh, the the staging. We're going to uh, looking at staging the the, the program and so and and just asking a bunch of questions because there's three distinct elements uh, in this program. So an eligible entity can come in and ask for a capacity contract. Um, so kind of so the government comes and says we'll buy so up to 50% of the capacity on this line. Anchor tenant. Anchor tenant. So anchor tenant once commercialized. So um, we can do that. Or they can come in and ask for a loan up to 50%. Or they can come in and ask for a public-private partnership, which means DOE comes alongside them, owns, plans, develops the transmission line with the entity, um, and owns up to 50% of that as well.
1: Yeah. Like BPA had planned on doing with B2H. Exactly.
0: It'd be very similar to that. It's just DOE headquarters.
1: But unlike BPA was planning on doing that, you guys, I know you said 40 years, but your goal...
0: Yes. Recycle this money. Get in and get out.
1: (laughs) It's a a revolving fund. It is a revolving borrowing authority. So once Mm -hmm. you lend it, you can't lend more until you've recouped that money.
0: Correct. So, so you're right. The the main goal for Department of Energy is to make uh, wise investments with the taxpayer money um, that that we get um, to help accelerate the transmission development. These interregional offer, but the literally from as soon as the ink is dry our goal is to get out of this contracts <laughs> <All right. laughs> <laughs> and so um, so that is our main goal and so we're going to make investments that make sense that there's a good a good return on okay. you know kind of uh, and get out as soon as we can so what it does is it allows the markets to grow into it the demand to grow into it the load to grow into it during that construction period yeah um, and so by the time usually by uh, looking like if we it depends if it's public-private partnership or capacity contract, you're looking at a number of years that the developer still has to get steel in the ground and wires in the air. And, um, and so all that time we're remarketing as well. Um, and so the, one of, one of, um, my kind of overall goals is I would love to be out of that contract by the time the thing gets energized. Um,
1: It sounds like then one of the real, like when we, 10 20 years from now when we look back on this program we say okay. was it a success right it sounds like a lot of that is going to depend on the on how spot on your due diligence is correct. can you is this a good project can you get out of it mm-hmm. does it deliver on that public interest goal correct so what 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 are you doing to make sure? If, yes. <laughs> how do you how do you make sure that? I mean,
0: so we're gonna do twofold. Um, most likely, we're gonna we're gonna have the eligible entity provide a lot of that information. So they not only have to do the engineering specs and everything, but a market study and everything they needed, anyways, to make uh, sense for that project to go. Um, We'll be asking for that as well. We're also gonna we're also gonna double check a lot of that stuff. So we're gonna we're gonna do our due diligence on that. So not only will we make some of the phone calls, make sure the permitting's right or the or the due diligence, um, we could also even do our own third party, have someone else do an independent market study. Um, that's one of the things that we are trying to develop right now. But we will we because we'll have to do a due diligence in order to make sure that we validated that these are uh, in the national interest. Um, so uh, not only does it have to be a good return or a good, you know, kind of high likelihood that we can resell this in the future, but um, it has to be of natural national yeah. interest. And so we'll have, we're going to ask a lot of that from the uh, uh, entity that's actually applying. And then we're going to go, right. we or contract out to do our due diligence on that.
1: So this, this program is going to apply across the country. Now uh, we no, clearing up, our sister publication, California Energy Market, we cover the West, obviously. So, how does this program apply differently across the country, or is it just one size fits all?
0: Yeah, good question. So, it'll be different because um, one of the things I've learned in my time at uh, DOE is every region is different, and so whether you're inside uh, an existing RTO or ISO is very different than if you're outside mm. of one, and um, and so. Uh, In the West, uh, it's most akin to a point-to-point. It'll look like a point-to-point contract. Um, But we're also going to have to change, like if they're in markets, if some of the market entities. um, So one of the the classic examples is MISO and SPP just put out last year kind of a study, a SEAM study, said these are some of the great interregional projects we need. But there's not quite the demand for it yet. And yeah. so um, depending if, if if they come in or one of the other classics of an RTO and a non-RTO, you know, kind of an an ISO and RTO and then a, another utility come together that's outside of there, mm. there's going to have to be some sort of uh, difference in Kind of the contract structure, the approach, um, okay. the 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 basic goal is still the same. We're just going to have to adapt to whatever entity is managing and operating the transmission in that region.
1: Okay,
0: so you have different flavors. Is that what you're asking? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, and I you know so I mean this is onshore and offshore is potential.
0: Yeah, it's uh, wires. Which is, mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I, and there have been some you know, studies that have been coming out in terms of potential offshore capacity that are really just kind of mind-boggling, yeah. uh, especially on the West Coast um, recently. But uh, actually, I want to ask, go back to the NOI and RFI for a second. Uh, so you you went through some of the, what's going to follow after that comes out. Mm-hmm. So is there, based on your timeline right now, when do you hope to be able to start taking applications?
0: Ah, uh, yes. I would love to do it by late summer. So that's okay. kind of the goal. Well. So, uh, But it depends. So if we come out with a pro, when we come out in the... Uh, NOI and RFI if there's not a lot of big significant uh kind of comments feedback if people are like yeah it's generally good you know we, we can probably turn it around in 30 to 60 days internally and then get something out a solicitation on the street if there's some big uh issues of course it'll take some time but mm-hmm. our goal is to start getting that first solicitation by late summer
1: okay great wow. so start Working on your application, Yeah. <laughs>
0: exactly. And uh, your
1: office will have uh, some support for folks, correct? Uh, yes, yes, yes. Fielding. Can, I, can you give uh, listeners sure. the elevator pitch on, <laughs> on what they you know, what helps there?
0: Yeah, so um, so we do. We have support where there's a core team um, that is made up of a number of members that we can call to help. If you have any questions, um, I also, uh, I'll get the right folks together. But yeah, there, we have a, team, a small team that's there to help folks through. Um, a lot of times they call it the pre-application process, um, that if they have questions or just sit down, we're also going to do some webinars um, as well as share... Uh, through webinars and that stuff draft contracts or things that we're doing so we're mm-hmm. going to give the, try to give the industry as much forewarning and, and time to ask questions but yeah. still be in a timely manner keep it going forward
1: so one of the challenges facing the industry is that uh, the models that we use to forecast what we need to build uh, are we're built for an ecosystem and environment that looks that increasingly doesn't look like the world we're going into so, how do you adapt for? You know, I mean, how does that affect making sure that you make good investments? Right. Uh, you know, Scenario
0: and, planning, baby. Right. I mean, like, <laughs> yeah, you know,
1: we've got huge amounts of renewables that have to be right. built offshore. Mm-hmm. So, is it, you know, where's this stuff going to be sited? And then, if small modular comes on, small modular nuclear reactors come onto the system, what does that displace? I mean, they've. I, I don't want to. I, I do not envy your job. Uh, <laughs> so, how do you make sure that you make good investments?
0: Yeah, that, that's actually a very good uh, uh, question because it is all changing, and I think states are grappling with that. Um, uh, the feds are grappling with that. One of the things is uh, transmission planning. Um, it used, you know. If, uh, it was a little more static, actually it was a lot more static in the past, it's going to be scenario-based. And you're really going to have to look at a number of different scenarios and look at the, the builds or the reconductoring or the upgrades, whatever it is, a new technology that makes the most sense in a lot of those scenarios. Um, one of the areas that DOE is also, my group is funding, is the National Transmission Planning Study, which is where we are we are through PNNL and NREL, the two uh to public, or national yeah, labs.
1: Pacific National, or,
0: Pacific sorry, Northwest, Northwest National Lab. And National
1: Renewable <laughs> Energy Lab. Lab, yeah.
0: right, correct. They're partnering with us um, to uh, do some studies with the regents. So what we're trying, planning to do is knit together about five different models, um, mm-hmm. everything from your capacity expansion model, kind of the looking where things are, uh, where it need all the way to a power flow model so we can actually get flow electrically through. No. Um, and so we're working with all the regions not to duplicate what they do. We're going to take what they do and knit them together. We're really focused on those interregional areas and where you would need to reinforce those interregional areas and where the capacity needs to be in a number of scenarios. Okay. So we're working with them on that. A DOE then we'll have that, that uh, and um, others can use it as well as a foundation to where... Uh, in the future, someone will we'll focus some of the money, the federal
1: money. So do those scenarios, are they the baseline or in the scenarios, are you incorporating how climate change will affect, or yes. affect yes. demand?
0: So, so the basic premise is we're going to do a baseline. And the baseline is today's wires plus that stuff that's in the hopper that's in most people's plans 10 years out. That's pretty, pretty uh, firm. You know, that's going to happen. Then we're going to see where that, where our system gets us and where we need to go. And that's taking all the state uh, standards, taking, you know, all the state and see there's a gap. And so where it's going to do is help look at scenarios. What would help close that gap to actually help Washington and Oregon and California and Montana and hit their climate standards or the renewable standards, whatever they want to do. Um, That's what we're going to focus on. If you're going to do that, what's the interregional transmission you need and the costs. Uh, yeah. Part of it is if you just stay as your own state. We're going to model that and say if you if you just do your own state standard, what's the infrastructure and uh, kind of that you're going to need versus a if you think regionally, if you think multi-state. Um, what is that infrastructure needed, and so we're going to try to give um, decision makers some of that data so they can make those trade-offs. Because yeah. it's more than just the transmission wires; it's jobs and everything else. But at least give some data-informed decision-making um, and help uh, basically have some of the federal funding help funnel it in the in the. They call it the no regrets or the things, the items that come up over and over again in any scenario. So it doesn't matter if you're going to go full electrification or medium or low. You need some of this infrastructure in place.
1: So, I mean, is there specific climate change modeling that you're requiring to be incorporated in this? Uh, no,
0: we're taking, so PNNL and NREL are actually incorporating all the states, okay. their own uh, their own, uh their own goals so
1: it depends uh but for i mean in terms of figuring out i I just mean in terms of figuring out whether or not a project that looks good with current Uh, demand and projected demand i mean as uh for anybody following the northwest power and conservation council's 2021 power mm -hmm. plan that looks at the northwest regional and they included climate change projections uh you know a range but instead of looking at historical data which does increasingly doesn't reflect what we're going into that really shaped uh, it by looking at climate projections and more recent data they got very different
0: yep. load
1: projections yep, exactly so i mean is this is that going to be included in your due yes. diligence are you, you yes know, are these are. including model is this proposal including modeling that incorporates how climate change will Correct. or could
0: affect it's all forward-looking okay. so yeah so we will take kind of what we know today and then look at the future and look at multiple different futures. I think that's the key is, is, um, is this project, you know, kind of banking on a come for one scenario or is it beneficial to uh, the, the nation and the national interest um, depending on a number of scenarios. Um, And so I think that that's one of the key things is that due diligence is looking at that case and, um, and kind of assessing it and seeing, does this It's going to help multiple scenarios, multiple approaches, uh, plus the resiliency and reliability.
1: And I, I think we mentioned this earlier, but in case we didn't, I'll ask. Um, so unlike the programs uh, or other appropriated money in the uh, infrastructure bill, the bipartisan infrastructure law, uh, there's no sunset date. On
0: this. Correct. On the transmission facilitation program, it was set up, it's a borrowing authority that goes on until Congress decides not to anymore, but it's unlike the other uh, infrastructure law programs that have a five-year, basically a five-year appropriations, this one keeps going. And so this is a new program that really is supposed to help bridge that gap, um, accelerate, I'd say, transmission, um, and uh, get it going. That's um, and helping bridge that transition just because it takes so long to build. It helps get folks going to get that steel in the ground. Um, And and so you're not waiting around and transmission providers and and adding extra time.
1: Right. And you guys will come in after the permitting or is there any?
0: It depends. So if an eligibility wants a contract from a capacity contract, um, buying basically transmission from them. Um, that one will have a different requirements and probably come more towards the the latter part of the permitting. Um, doesn't have to be all the way, but it's got yeah. you got to actually have done some things. Um, whereas they want a public private partnership. That's usually more at the beginning because right. okay. uh, the capacity contract does not have an involved NEPA and so the the federal. Uh, uh, national, federal, NEPA, environmental protection, <laughs> um, and so uh, so it depends if if we actually build with them at the beginning, it's a very different approach than if yeah. if we're uh, offering a capacity contract on the end.
1: And now, especially in the West, where there's huge mm-hmm. tracts of federally owned and managed land, um, that is an issue with the permitting process. Just going through all these different entities. Right. Uh, is there is part of this. Program, uh, Is there an effort to streamline the federal permitting side of it, You know, the part that you have some say? Right.
0: Over. So there is a lot of coordination going along um, around. So it's more make it efficient. It's so funny. Some people hate the word streamline, <laughs> but it's make it as efficient as possible. Okay. Because what you are dealing with is each of the entities have their own statutes, their own law that right. they're, you know, Bureau of Land Management has a very strong mission and that's different than U.S. Forest Mm. Service. It's different than Department of Defense or Department of Transportation. So it's really trying to make sure that when we're asking applicants for information that we're doing it as coordinated as possible. So we don't have three or four different uh, organizations asking for the same thing in sequence instead saying, Hey, how can we work together to ask for it up front and we could all use some of it. Um, that's it's and so we're really looking to do that um, also some of these uh, local entities like if you're uh, at some of the US Forest Service or of land management or something like that this falls in their local jurisdiction making sure they have people to do it um, mm-hmm. and so this a lot of times lands on folks that are very thin staffed to start with and and these are major projects and so yeah. it's it's not easy for them as well and so part of that is right now is as federal agencies trying to figure out how we do that. There is, just to let you know on um, for the federal agency, if you have a, a, a project, something like this, there is called a Fast 41 um, mm-hmm. or FIPSI. It's actually a requirement that comes in that's a one-stop shop for federal permits. And it, it doesn't. It's not just transmission. It's uh, all types of permitting. But there is an organization mm. can come in. It's voluntary, and you can actually have uh, someone lead that process that brings all the federal agencies together and makes them report out in a cadence. The developer has to report out also in certain cadence. But there is a process that uh, developers are using more and more that actually helps streamline that. Yeah, oh, interesting so let me longer. let me add something because yeah. okay. um, so the other thing the transmission facilitation program is just one of uh, multiple of uh, transmission distribution uh, money coming out of the infrastructure law yeah. and so um, a lot of it, so you have two and a half billion in for transmission facilitation program you have another thirteen billion on of your existing grid your resiliency your grid hardening your smart grid and so one of the things that we always say especially in a lot of the department of energy and transmission utilize your existing grid as much as you can it's already in the ground it's you know it's it's your it's your biggest bang for your buck and so as entities are looking at applying for some of these programs or states are doing it um, look at multiple programs and uh, and make sure you optimize those dollars don't don't let a moment in time go by, and not take advantage of some of that federal money coming to help states and utilities um, really strengthen and harden their grid.
1: And those, those are the five-year programs.
0: Yes, those are the five-year programs that so are. to get your
1: applications in soon.
0: Uh, yeah, notice of intent coming soon. <laughs> get ready. Um, and uh, and so yes, all the kind of transmission, distribution, smart grid stuff is all that's coming out within the next right. hopefully four weeks.
1: The the thirteen billion is that all through your office or is it?
0: Yes, the grid deployment office. Okay. It is.
1: All right. Well, uh, that's all the time we've got for, uh, today. I don't want to keep you from everything else that you've got to attend to, running, you know, keeping us on track. The, <laughs> um, so, uh, thank you very much for your time, and uh, you know, we'd love to have you on later down, uh, later on down the road when some of the rules are out and maybe you guys are taking applications and see how everything's progressing.
0: Happy to share and be back. Thanks, Michelle. Thank you.
1: In other news, COVID-19 lockdowns in China are delaying three energy storage projects that Southern California Edison is building to ensure grid reliability around Los Angeles and in the San Joaquin Valley. The projects can dispatch a combined 537.5 megawatts for four hours totaling 2150 megawatt hours. They're expected to cost a combined $1.2 billion. They were scheduled to be operational by August, but now contractor Amoresco says they cannot meet that deadline. Regulators and utilities in California are relying on energy storage to shore up resource adequacy across the state. However, the supply chain delays are due to short-term manufacturing and transportation lockdowns in China related to the pandemic. Read more about this story by Linda Daly-Paulson with California Energy Markets at newsdata.com. Also in CEM, editor Jason Fordney reports that the California Independent System Operator, or CAISO, is taking comments through May 31st on its latest proposal to ensure energy storage resources are adequately compensated for participating in CAISO's wholesale energy market. Kaiso says the growing amount of energy storage in California requires a new compensation model that reflects energy storage's unique features. For example, the proposed new model takes into account how charged a battery storage system is when it sells into Kaiso's market. Prices are lower when it's fully charged, and they rise as the battery's charge goes down. From clearing up this week... BPA is taking offers for up to 200 megawatts of projected surplus wholesale power and capacity during this coming winter and in summer 2023. The Bonneville Power Administration has sporadically used these requests for offers in the past for selling smaller amounts of generation. But now, as utilities look to improve their resource adequacy and keep lights on when the power market is tight and demand is high... BPA sees an opportunity to increase its wholesale revenues. The wholesale revenues help keep costs low for its power preference customers. BPA's manager of power services, long-term sales and purchases, Eric Fedorovich, says that this approach is something the federal agency should keep in its toolbox. Read more about this story by clearing up Rick Adair at newsdata.com. Newsdata is also hosting a regional conversation on small modular nuclear reactors this coming Tuesday, April 26th. The conversation is hosted by Newsdata and Clearing Up from noon to 1.30 p.m. Pacific Time and hosts and includes such people as Mark Genderden, a special advisor to Utah Associated Municipal Power Systems, Jason Herbert, Senior Director of External Outreach and New Nuclear Development at Energy Northwest. Bob Jenks, Executive Director of Oregon's Citizens Utility Board, Ben Quila, Senior Advisor at Northwest Power and Conservation Council, and Benjamin Rinke, Senior Director of Corporate Strategy and Advisor to the CEO at X-Energy. That's it from us this week. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you
0: next week. You've been listening to News Data's Energy West, a podcast about the energy industry today and where it's going tomorrow.